Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're listening to Killer. This is case number 17, The Golden State Killer, Part 5. The East Area Rapist, Part 4. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. We're about to begin. Attack number 17, April 15, 1977 in the city of Carmichael on Sherilyn Way. A boyfriend and girlfriend were both asleep in bed when the victims were awakened by a beaming flashlight in their eyes. The woman thought her boyfriend was playing a prank on her, and when she told him to knock it off, she was met with a surprise. The man behind the flashlight said, Don't look over this way or I'll kill you. Roll over onto your stomachs. Do you know what a 45 Magnum is? I'll blow your brains all over the room with it if you don't do what I tell you to. The victims complied and rolled over. The assailant then said, All I want is your money, and no one will get hurt. He showed bindings to the female that he had neatly laid out on the bed prior to waking the couple and ordered her to tie up her husband. Another case of the ear not knowing that this was really her boyfriend. This is also the second time the ear struck a couple in the same home. The woman then tied her boyfriend and then laid back on her stomach as instructed. The intruder then tied up the woman and retied her boyfriend's bindings tighter. He left the room for about 15 minutes, then returned, grabbing the victim. Come with me, he said through clenched teeth. I can't find your purse. If you move one inch, I'll cut your throat. He returned a short time later, then retied the boyfriend's ankles with a wire cord. The assailant took the victim out of the room again. Don't move or I'll kill her, he warned the boyfriend as he continued moving from her room. He returned again with the victim. This time, he placed the dishes on the boyfriend's back. If I hear the dishes, I'll kill her first. He then directed his attention to the female. Do what I say or I'll kill him. Then he escorted the female to the living room. The intruder placed the woman on the floor and put his penis in her bound hands and ordered her to play with it. He threatened her, placing his gun to her head and cocking it. 
Next, he put a knife to her throat and threatened her again. She could feel a gun in his pocket as he raped her. While the boyfriend was in the bedroom, his hand started to become numb, so he tried to loosen his binding so that he could relieve the pain. The dishes rattled around and alerted the intruder to the boyfriend moving around. He rushed into the room and placed the barrel of his gun to the boyfriend's head. The boyfriend heard the clicking of the gun cocking. You do that again and I'll kill you, the ear growled. Then he replaced the dishes on his back. During the attacks, the assailant would leave the victim and go rummage through the kitchen and return again. He would rape her then go back to rummaging. During the rummaging, he took the female's driver's license from her purse and took portrait pictures out and moved them around the home. About 20 minutes had passed, and the boyfriend knocked his plates off again. The assailant was back by his side. He threw the sheets over his head and growled, Don't move or I'll kill her. After some time had passed, the victim hobbled back to the bedroom and cut her boyfriend loose. They called the police from their neighbor's house. After the attack, investigators found the phone in the kitchen and the master bedroom had their lines cut. The assailant entered the home through a sliding glass patio door. The victims admitted to having various drugs in the home, cocaine, marijuana, and pills, which were all missing. They described the man as wearing a dark or green-colored nylon jacket, dark green pants tucked into laced-up boots. They did not see the gloves, but they knew he wore them. An interesting fact is that the home across the street was empty. Investigators had been wondering if he had been camping in empty homes and spying on his victims. The other interesting thing here is that the ear only brought bindings for one person. This is interesting because it shows that he may not have done this uh, with his usual stalking and prowling activities being prepared as usual. He repeatedly moved the woman about the home while trying to fully secure the boyfriend. So that brings us to our first discussion point, which would be whether or not this attack was random. And a lot of time throughout the, you know, these attacks, authorities had been trying to track down a possible real estate or construction connection because, you know, he would attack homes that are it always seemed to be near a home that was for sale or new construction. And so they started to wonder if that was, you know, if he was in construction or was he in real estate or what was the deal with him? And, you know, they didn't know for sure. And that was just something they were, you know, looking at. And in this particular case, the home across the street had been empty for a while. And, you know, if I recall correctly, Detective Shelby thought that there were signs that the ear had been in the home across the street. And based on the fact that he only had bindings for one person, they seemed to think that this was a crime of opportunity and not necessarily one of his well thought out, planned out attacks where he, you know, prowls an area for months on months and then or weeks at a time and then, you know, attacks the person. So the thought being that he was just camping out in this empty house and, you know, witnessed some of the activity next door and just decided to go for it, you know, take his chances and attack that home but based on what he saw you know just with a short surveillance of the home yeah essentially and you know the one thing that i think they also potentially you know think happened is that he you know he was in the area kind of was familiar enough but then you know noticed this particular home kind of maybe loosely knew their habits but not as in in depth as usual you know like you said he referred to the boyfriend as husband which a lot of times he enters the home before and kind of goes through their things and figures out who's who and, you know, how many people are in the home and that kind of thing. But in this case, it seems like he wasn't quite clear of the relationship between the pair. Not that it really matters because, you know, who knows? In the heat of the moment, even the attacker, I'm sure, has a bit of an adrenaline rush going on and maybe says things that, you know, in a way that 
at the time he's not really thinking about it. He's more worried about like making sure that this guy doesn't get loose from his bindings. This is the second time, you know, he's attacked with a male presence. So I bet you his sense of urgency is a little heightened in this regard. Yeah. Not only a sense of urgency, but the little trick that he's using to put the dishes on their back to, you know, as a, an audible alarm that somebody might be trying to escape. This guy set it off twice and he come running in and threatened him, you know, cocking the gun and putting it to their head, getting more brazen. When you cock a gun like that, I'm assuming it's a revolver, because if it's a semi-automatic pistol, you only have to put one in the chamber one time. You're not cocking it multiple times. So, I don't know. It's kind of dangerous cocking it, putting it up against their head. You know, there's always that that off chance that it goes off, right? <laughs> I honestly don't think he cares if it goes off. <laughs> I I really don't. I mean, I don't think he's intending to. I mean, obviously, he's not really intending to kill somebody right here, but I don't think he's against the idea at all. I, I think it, even at this point, I think he, you know, he hasn't killed any of his rape victims or anything, but man, he threatens to kill people constantly. And I feel like he's always just holding himself back just a little bit for whatever reason. He just doesn't want to quite dive fully in and, and actually murder somebody. But, you know, obviously that what about, um, you know, the guns you said, like, you know, you're cocking the gun, but what about guns with like the hammer? Uh, I don't know a whole lot about guns. You know, I know there's the kind where you slide the slider back and it, you know, puts one in the chamber. And then at that point, like, yeah, it's loaded. Like, what are you going to do about it? But what about the guns with the hammer? What, I don't know much about those. How's that work? Well, that's what I was saying. I think in that, that description of what we just gave there, he cocked the gun twice and if you have a semi-automatic pistol with a slide, you only you only cock it one time. It's ready and it's ready to roll at that point. This sounds like a revolver where he cocked it the first time, and he may have actually released it, set the hammer back down, and then when the boyfriend moved, he came back in, cocked it again. Unless he's doing something like this on purpose, just so if they're blindfolded and can't see what's going on, he's using that as a intimidation factor, right? Yeah. Well, do they have? You know, maybe somebody will have to let me know, but do they have the uh, the 45s? He was carrying a 45. Like, are revolvers usually that high of a caliber? Revolvers, you can get it in any caliber. <laughs> it goes all the way up to 50 caliber. So, okay. And larger. I mean, it's just, that's not something you would want to carry. It's kind of like going back to that reference of the, the Batman in our intro there. He's not pulling out this. From the very first Batman movie, if you remember, <laughs> he pulls out that revolver that's got the six-foot-long barrel. <laughs> I'm sure he's not carrying a gun like <laughs> yeah. that around, but yeah, no kidding. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, it, well, and that's the thing. Like you know, his gun's got to be something somewhat concealable, and but it's big enough that the the victim even remembers feeling it in his jacket, in his pocket while he was you know doing his thing. So yeah, I mean, I definitely think he uses it for fear and intimidation for sure. But again, I don't think he's afraid to shoot that thing if he has to i mean you know if, if he's truly the visalia ransacker he's definitely not afraid to to do that and law enforcement seems to think that connection is pretty solid at this point so the one other thing that i wanted to talk about was um this is the second time he's attacked a home with a male present so the sacramento b if you recall last time ran a line in the newspaper and it wasn't even really like a big deal they just mentioned it as part of the his mo like hey you know, here's this guy, he's been attacking women, here's what you should do, and also he hasn't attacked where there's been big dogs or a male present. 
it was just kind of like this little one-liner in there. And suddenly he's now doing it like within a few weeks of that article coming out. And it seems like he's now really enjoyed the escalation to this point where, you know, it's like these stages of these attacks where, you know, first he starts as ransacker and then all of a sudden he starts breaking in and raping people. And now it's controlling, then it's, you know, controlling multiple victims, then it's uh, male and female. And, you know, it just keeps going up. Like he's slowly on this trajectory over time, just increasing his brazenness. Yeah, he's. He's increasing his odds of something going wrong. We started going through that piece and a little shocked that he let the girlfriend tie him up at first. But then, you know, we said he went back and retied the binds to make sure they were secure. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, I mean, this guy's uh, clearly he's intelligent, at least in this aspect of doing these kinds of things, because, you know, he comes up with a lot of very clever ways of keeping multiple people at check, you know or in check, I should say, you know, all at one time where he's got, you know, these two victims together and he's got his gun out. He never attacks, you know, so far without his gun when there's a male present. Now he was attacking females at knife point and maybe he had a gun and they just didn't know it. But, you know, there were a lot of attacks prior to this where, you know, you don't hear about a gun. You just hear about a knife. And, uh, you know, in this case, we have, we have him here with the gun and he instantly takes control of the situation, obviously catches them while they're asleep. He's got bindings pre-laid out on the bed, forces the female to tie the male. And of course, you know, if I'm the female, I'm tying them loosely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like trying to tell you, hey, dude, when I tie these, pretend they're tight and then break out of them and beat this guy exactly. or something. And then, uh, and, uh, you know, of course he's on to that. So he's like, okay. And then he just ties them tighter and then... You know, basically ensures that that guy is subdued and what are you going to do with a gun and you're on your stomach, you know, you're, you're pretty vulnerable at that point. So you're most likely not going to try anything. You know, if you can't sit up or stand up, you're done. So you just let it happen and, and he knows it. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to move on to attack number 18, May 3rd, 1977, Sacramento, La Riviera Drive. Around 1 a.m., the would-be victim was preparing for bed. She had heard a thump sound coming from outside. She took a look outside of the upstairs window and did not see anything, but she went about the home and checked that all the doors and windows were locked to be safe. One thing to note here is that this particular home was a two-story townhome in a middle-class neighborhood. The ear thus far had only struck single-story homes. This home contained all bedrooms on the lower level and the living space and kitchen on the second story. The victim was also home with her husband and their two children. The victim woke up around 2 a.m. to the feeling of a presence in their home, and she would be correct. She noticed a man standing in her doorway, holding a flashlight in his left hand and a small gun in his right hand. He warned them that he had a 45 caliber military automatic and would kill them if they moved. As usual, he said he only wanted money. Then he placed a gun to the husband's head and warned him that he'd kill him if he moved and tossed shoelaces to the female and told her to tie up her husband. The routine used up to this point was carried out as usual, but he did mention that he wanted money for cocaine and asked the husband where his money is. The husband told him that his wallet was on the dresser, but the assailant was not happy with the amount he found. This can't be all your money. You better have more money or I'll kill you both, he growled at the couple. The female victim said that she had more money in her purse upstairs. That's when the assailant went off script a little bit and started pretending to shake as if he was on drugs or going through withdrawals. He proceeded to grab the female victim and ordered her to take him to her purse. 
warning her that if she tried anything, he would kill her and everybody in the house. Then he said, he's headed to his camp on the river. He retied the husband's bindings tightly and then placed a jewelry box on his back. He told the husband that if he heard a sound, he would kill everybody in the house. Then he yanked the victim off the bed and pushed her upstairs at gunpoint. He placed the victim on the floor by the bathroom and tied her feet together. Next, he took a shower cap and covered her face with it. Then he went downstairs for a few minutes and returned. Upon his return, he untied her feet and then tied her to a table leg. Then he began wandering around the home, eventually adding a cup and saucer to the male victim in addition to the jewelry box on his back. He then went back upstairs to the female victim and opened and closed the refrigerator. Then he began lubricating himself, and the victim could hear it. He asked her, Do you know what that sound is? If you don't tell me, I'll kill you. The victim did not respond quickly, and then he called her a bitch before she could say anything. Then he ordered her to play with it, and do it like you're doing it to your husband. Then he raped her. He commented that she was big, and she was at around six feet tall. When he was done assaulting the victim, he rolled her over onto her stomach and retied her. Then he placed glass items on her back. He threatened to kill her if he heard anything. The ear went back downstairs and began rummaging through things in their closet. He asked the husband if he had ever been in the service, to which the husband replied, Yes, Air Force. The ear responded, I got thrown out. As the wife lay upstairs, it was quiet for some time. She began to relax, but suddenly he was back and placed a gun to her neck and warned her, You don't want to die, do you? She tried to answer him, but he told her to shut up. He went to the kitchen and began eating, then quickly ran downstairs to check on the husband, who reported he appeared to be eating. The husband heard the assailant breathing heavily, again feeling like the ear was putting on an act. The husband waited for some time and then began shouting for help until his neighbor could hear him, and they phoned the police. One interesting fact from this one was that um, some of the bindings they used, um, the ears seemed to have taken them from the closet and pulled them out of shoes and then used them there, which I thought was an interesting tactic because he would almost have to know like where that stuff was located to take control of the situation quickly. You know what I mean? Right. didn't sound like he had his bindings prepared this time and laid out neatly. No, he didn't. I mean, I think it said that he had some with him, but I don't know if he had enough or wanted more or whatever to really make sure that, you know, everyone was secured. And it might be the fact that the woman, she was very tall. She was six feet tall. And like, that wasn't, you know, in what Craig read, that wasn't a satire sarcasm. It was more, it was real. You know, she was really, really tall. And, and the ear made note of that and commented on it while assaulting her. In this attack, you know, they... They describe him as wearing dark clothes, a brown mask, construction gloves, and he had his forty-five caliber gun. And then this one was a two-story home. What do you think about that? Yeah, every house that we have read about to this point, it sounds like they've all been single story. So that's the complexity of the environment goes up with it being two stories, and especially with the kids being home. And what it said, all of the living space was pretty much downstairs with the kitchen and things like that upstairs. You know, being late at night, it, it may not have made it any more difficult to perform this attack because he knew every, all the, you know, potential victims were on the first floor, so. Yeah, the thing that strikes me as interesting about that is, you know, I live in a two-story home. When someone's upstairs walking around, you hear it, you know, and especially in a situation like this where, I mean, you're assaulting a, a woman and rummaging through things, like, that dude's not particularly quiet from what I understand. Maybe he is when he comes into the house, he's a little bit quiet getting in, but once he's in your house, it doesn't seem like he's all that quiet. He seems to rummage around and pulling open drawers, opening, closing the refrigerator, eating, going outside, coming back inside. Like he's not exactly silent. 
<laughs> so I, I can't believe that the kids slept through that. Yeah, I, I, I know. And then this is not the first time either. We've, we've had other attacks where it's like the kids, he shuts the door and the kids don't hear what's going on. Yeah, that's uh, that's baffling to me because I don't know. I mean, I sleep with a fan at night, so I've got this constant white noise going on, and so I could see myself not hearing something like that because of how I sleep. But if I slept in a home that was basically silent except for the furnace kicking on a few times during the night, I can't imagine not hearing somebody rummaging through my home. It's just such a strange sound. I mean, I hear my wife get up to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? As soon as she's up out of bed, it's like, I'm instantly awake. Like, what are you doing? And I'm in a dead sleep. And so I can't imagine, like, sleeping in my house and, you know, all of a sudden there's all this noise going on and some guy breaking in and eating all your food and all that stuff. You know, like, I I just can't imagine it being, like, sleeping through. I just can't imagine it. I don't know. Maybe if you're a kid, you're just out of it. You don't even know what's going on. But Do you think there's any cases where the kids woke up and peeked her head out the door to see what was going on and they were basically frightened to be on the point of making a sound went back into the room and was like really freaked out i haven't read any cases where they actually do do that but i think i don't know if, i want to say it was one of the earlier ones where the kid comes out and well there's the one where the kid comes out and the the mother and the kid scream enough that he ends up leaving you know but he'd already basically assaulted the the woman for quite a while at that point anyway but then there's another case where a kid comes out and goes to the bathroom or something and then sees the man and he said, he says, I'm just playing a game with your mom or your mom and dad. And I don't know if we've covered that one yet. They all kind of run together at this point. There's so many, but you know, and then he, the kid just goes, goes back to bed. <laughs> Doesn't even question the fact that there's this man with no pants on in the home and a mask, <laughs> like just goes right back to bed. And it's like, huh? All right. Well, one thing we did confirm there is he has a 45 automatic. So. I don't know if he's doing the the Hollywood thing where he's pulling the slide a couple of times to scare him and make that sound. Do they think he's loading the gun just to freak him out or what? So, forty five caliber automatic. You should only have to should only have to pull the slide one time and it's ready to go. Oh yeah, and I'm sure it was. It was probably ready to go when he walked in the door. You know, I don't I don't think he's waiting <laughs> to load the gun. I'm sure he's got one in the chamber ready to rock right when he comes in. Uh, the other thing that we didn't touch on yet is. Um, when he escaped this home, he escaped via a levee behind the home. So again, it's you know more of the same MO, an area where there's like a canal, a park, a grassy field, some wide, vast area that he can you know easily hide and escape. And then the other thing they had uh, when they canvassed the neighborhood, the investigators after the attack, you know, they find out there's hang up phone calls to neighbors to them, you know, going on again leading up to the attack. And I think to me at this point, I don't know if we've said it in any of our past episodes, but it sounds like what he does is he calls neighbors as well as the victim. And I think he's trying to figure out what the routine of the people in the homes are. And so he's trying to figure out, like, when are you home? When are you going to answer your phone? When are you not going to answer your phone? How many people are in the home? So he'll keep calling, like, all these places, and he doesn't talk. He just sits there on the other end silently. So he's, like, trying to figure out, you know, a little bit of the movement of the people around just by calling and not saying anything which I think is another ingenious way of doing these things. I mean, obviously, you know, all of this stuff is terrible, but, you know, we're analyzing this right now, looking at it for what it is. And, you know, we're on attack 18 on top of all the Visalia ransacker attacks and the guy hasn't been caught yet. So 
you know, it's just one of those things where when you look back at this and just analyze it without any emotion for, you know, what, how horrible this all is. This dude is, he's very capable and very smart and he seems to have a pretty good grasp on what he's doing. Yeah. I didn't even think about it in that kind of in that context where he just calls houses around to see who's home and when. And if you're sitting there silent, you can hear background noise on the phone kind of gives you an idea of who's in the home. If there's kids, you know, what's going on, who's moving around. You know, a lot of times you do a prank phone call. Some, a lot of times people aren't going to just sit there and talk endlessly, if you're, especially if you're not saying anything. Yeah. You usually answer and you go, hello. And then you kind of sit there for a second. And especially back then, you know, people would call each other on their regular landline phones. You didn't have caller ID. You know, you might think, oh, you know, so-and-so, they dropped their phone or something and they're picking it up or like, I just can't hear them for whatever reason. You just kind of wait a second. Anymore, you're pretty impatient because you know who's calling you, you know? (laughs) If it's a number you don't recognize and you say hello, you're pretty sure it's going to be a spam call. (laughs) So then you just hang up. But back then, you know, you had no idea who was calling you. So you just kind of sit there. Hello. Wait a few seconds. Hello. You don't hear anything. Hello. And sit there. And he can hear the whole time, you know, you saying hello, but also if there's anybody else in the background. Yeah. You probably never experienced this either. But back in that time, I know the area that I lived in, we had party lines. and It wasn't even a, a private oh, line. Yeah. You could get on the phone and if a couple of your neighbors were on there having a conversation, talking to each other, or they had called a friend, you could listen in on their conversation and just sit there and be like this guy, silent, just, you know, eavesdropping on them. Yeah, I never did have uh, party lines growing up. I was a little past that. So, sorry to date you there. <laughs> I've already done that enough myself. There's no worries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's uh, move on to attack 19. May 5th, 1977, Orangevale, Winterbrook Way. A man and a woman who worked for a stockbroker in downtown Sacramento were hanging out over at the man's home on Winterbrook Way. He had recently purchased the home and just moved in a few days earlier. The woman and her two dogs stopped over at his home around 8.30 p.m. to discuss some business matters over dinner. Their relationship was described as platonic. At some point early in the evening, she let her dogs out in the backyard and they began barking in the direction of a large oak tree located at another neighbor's property. A different dog from a neighbor on the same street was barking in that direction as well. The pair checked outside looking out the windows and didn't see anything and chalked it up as nothing and continued carrying on. At 12.15 p.m., she was escorted to her car by her friend. As they went to open the door, the dogs jumped out the door and started barking loudly, their hair standing up on their back of their necks. A masked man rushed towards them with a gun in his hand. The intruder ordered the pair into the home threatening that he would blow their brains out if they refused. The usual ear tactics commenced. He instructed the female to tie up the male using shoelaces. He continued to threaten to kill them as she binded up her friend. The intruder was also threatening to kill the dogs if she did not quiet them, so she made attempts to keep the dogs quiet as well. He instructed her to take the dogs to the bedroom, to which she did, and he followed her. They returned to the living room and ordered her on her stomach and bound her tightly. He went to the kitchen and gathered dishes and stacked them on the male victim's back. The female victim was so scared she kept her eyes closed as tightly as possible. His usual routine continued, asking for money, telling the male to shut up when he would offer to give him what he wanted. The intruder then took the woman to the back bedroom and unbuttoned her blouse and cut her bra off with his knife. Then he blindfolded her. She heard him lubricating himself with lotion, then he raped her. 
He went and ransacked the house, came back, and raped her three more times, including oral sodomy. Then he said to her, You better swear to God that you didn't see a van down the street. He repeated this three times and asked her to repeat it. Then he went to the kitchen and was eating food from the kitchen, opening and closing the refrigerator. Shortly after, the house fell silent. The typical hallmarks of the ear were present when police arrived to investigate. Dishes were on the floor. The phone cords had been cut. Shoelaces were scattered about. This time, the shoelaces were brought with the ear. Two semen stains were found on the victim's clothes, which were tested and determined he was a non-secretor, just like the blood test before. While the relationship was initially described as platonic, the female victim would later admit to having sex with the male victim on the floor in front of the uncovered window. This was her first time at the home, so it appears the ear may have struck based off of opportunity rather than the usual stalking for weeks prior to an attack. The victims described the attacker as 5'8 to 5'9, medium build. He spoke through a whisper, had a slightly high-pitched voice. The female victim said she thought she may have detected a slightly Hispanic accent, but wasn't sure. His penis was described as around 5 inches with a circumference of a quarter. She also reported he didn't seem to enjoy the rape and had a hard time maintaining an erection. Some items recovered from the scene were a Zippo lighter, scuff marks on the tree he was standing by, shoe prints near the tree, an empty Coors beer can, a knife behind the living room couch, and a piece of chewed bubble gum. In this attack, the ear, <laughs> he tells that, that the woman, you know, he's like, you know, swear to God you didn't see me <laughs> going to my van down the street. And he makes her repeat it. And again, this is where he's really, you know, he's playing people. He's manipulating. He's He's trying to lead the witness, you know, and he's leaving these weird bits and pieces of information around at various assaults where he, you know, he'll say certain things in a way to try to get people, you know, he tells the cops that, but he's trying to throw them off his scent, you know, and I don't know if he truly believes it works and I don't know if it really does work. You know, I think the cops are smarter than that, but it's just interesting to see him trying to stage the scene that way. Yeah, for sure. And the bum rush attack as he was escorting her to the car is definitely, it just seems like he's getting more brave. Like, he's not quite as prepared each time, and he's... I do think this was an oppor- a crime of opportunity this time. He he saw what was going on, and he was walking out, and he kind of scoped it out a little bit, you know, hanging out by that tree or whatever. But then, you know, the dogs are going crazy the whole time. He sees the guy escorting her to her car, but yet still rushes him and, and forces him back into the house. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things. He comes with the gun, and what are you going to do? You're going to take off running? You know what I mean? And who knows? You know, it's one of those things that's 50 50. If you take off running while that guy's trying to get you, and I don't know how far they had made it out of their home. You know, maybe they were right there on that front stoop, and like you're just, you have to go back. Your only option is to head back into the house. Like you don't really have a choice. But if you'd made it a few steps down, like you could take off running through the neighborhood. And then what's he do? Does he shoot you and make a bunch of racket, or does he run away? You know, like if I'm in that situation after doing a lot of this stuff, these true crime episodes and such, I think I might run. What do you think? What would you do? If you have, if you're, if you're not stuck at the, at the front door and you can actually, you have the option, you can take off running or comply. What are you doing? I mean, you don't know at that point whether he's going to shoot you or not. Yeah. I, I probably would take my chances and try to bolt because you, you stand just as much of a chance of getting killed, tied up with on your stomach. <laughs> if, if you follow the news at all, and depending on what details that they release, you know that Anytime this guy snaps or something goes wrong, he's going to kill you. I mean, it. we know he's shot that one kid in the stomach, and it, I, I don't know. 
it's a split second decision to make there at that point. I guess it depends on, you know, how closely your relationship is with the other person. You wouldn't want to turn tail and run and leave somebody hanging for sure. It just depends. Well, my thought is just right now being able to kind of sit back and armchair this, you know, and not necessarily putting this through the lens of the East area rapist as, you know, the guy getting you, but just say that this happens to you in this scenario. I feel like I would take off running and I'll tell you why. I don't necessarily believe that most people who do these kinds of things are really actually willing and able to shoot you. They're using the gun for intimidation purposes. And should some and should you fight them, like physically start harming them, they have a reason to shoot you and then they take off. So my thought is if you have the ability to run, you run. Regardless of who's with you. You know, your wife's with you, right? Well, it's not gonna do you any good to be tied up next to her. So you take off. And the thought being, if you take off, he panics and he takes off, you know, like, cause now like there's now, now what's he do? One of you's on the loose and you know, the cops are going to be coming any minute. Now you're not going to hang around and you're probably not going to shoot somebody now because you know, the cops are coming. You're in trouble now. And I think the difference being when he shot the kid at the rip and court incident, he was being chased by the kid. The kid wasn't running away from him. He was running after him. And so in order to keep him off of his trail, he shot him. Now, if you're taking off because you're scared and you're running away, I don't know that he's going to sit there and stick around. He's like, shit, I got to get out of here. He's out. And I think that's true in probably most cases. I don't think you're getting shot. I really don't. True. He knows at that point his scare tactic isn't working and he needs to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Then that may be the split second decision that I would make is... You know, not only do I make the decision to run, but if you start yelling loudly, run, run, he's got a gun and you're in a neighborhood trying to just to pull any kind of attention you can, not just from people around you in the neighborhood, other houses. He's got a gun. He's going to shoot us. Get out of here. You know, crazy dude on the loose. (laughs) You got (laughs) to draw as much attention to yourself as possible, even though it's the middle of the night. Somebody surely is going to hear you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Like. I don't know that he'd be willing to unload on you like in that scenario. Maybe, maybe, but I think I'd take my chances. I think I'd rather take my chances doing that than I would being pulled into the home, bound up and tormented for hours. Do you know what I mean? Like, and you don't know at the time what this dude is there for. Like, you really don't know. You don't know that he's the East Area Rapist. You don't know if he's just some robber who's imitating him. You just don't know. You don't know what you're dealing with. And so, you know, if you're not laying in bed... And this guy's coming in through the door at you while you're in your bed. You can get the F out of there fast. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no kidding. And I got a slight chuckle out of the reference to him packing a roll of quarters, too. But <laughs> it seems like every, every <laughs> eyewitness description of this guy or victim description is they keep going back to that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. He uh, He's not well endowed at this point, we've determined. And he doesn't like dry skin. <laughs> it puts the lotion on the skin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be so creepy, though. Like, you know, this guy comes in, he freaks you out, you know, and then he makes you bind up your partner and then binds you up, takes you out of the room and then blindfolds you. And then you just hear this pumping sound and you're like, oh, no. And then you like, you know, you're the woman on, like, you know, what's coming now. And again it's that terror right and it's just i couldn't imagine like putting yourself in that situation like these poor women and i mean and 
and don't lose sight of the fact these men are victims too. They're not being raped, so obviously the the females have it far worse than the males do by far. But you know, these men are stuck there in a room listening to this happen. You know they can hear a lot of what's going on in some of these cases, and they can't do a damn thing about it. You know, they're bound up so tightly that, you know, their hands are turning black and numb just like the females. And then they have dishes on their back so they can't even move. I mean, and you just have to sit there and listen. And then you hear this guy rummaging through your home and he comes back and shines flashlights. Like, you know, the males are often lost in this equation. I mean, they are victims too. Now, obviously, they're not being raped. So the females have a uh, hundred billion times worse. But you know what I mean? Like, it just, I feel like that's something that like, gets a little bit overlooked in, in this series. Yeah, for sure. The mental breakdown has to be huge for some of these guys, especially if it's your spouse that you've been with for a long time and you have kids. Not to, you know, short sell, even if it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you hear an attack happening. It's traumatizing. You know, it's, I can't believe that it wouldn't mess with you tremendously. Yeah, there's a lot of reports of, you know, your victims um, getting divorced later on because they couldn't reconcile the relationship after this they just couldn't live with themselves in the way that things went down at the time and it's sad you know this guy caused way more damage than you really think about on the surface you know if you really start analyzing what he's doing how many people's lives he's ruined just from doing these things to them on top of the actual attacks themselves but you know you have all of the investigators who couldn't solve the crime you know and they're having a hard time you have the victims who've been violated you have the relationships ruined you've got the families that are in disarray from this you know the fear that they have every night when they go to bed for the rest of their lives all because the sick individuals out there you know committing these crimes you know and again we've talked about 19 attacks hundreds of ransack 100 ransackings you know like murder (laughs) i mean this dude is all over the place and just the amount of lives that he has inflicted damage on is just incredible. Move on to attack number 20, May 14th, 1977, Citrus Heights, Merlindale Drive. You make a sound, and I'll kill you. I have a 45, and I'll kill you if you move, the masked man said as he stood over the bed, shining his flashlight into the eyes of the soon-to-be female victim. Her husband awoke and looked over and saw the man. The ear told the couple that all he wanted was money and food, and then I'll leave in my van. He forced them to roll onto their stomachs and said that he was going to tie them up. He removed shoelaces from his jacket and tossed them to the female victim on the bed. Tie his hands, he commanded her. She was so nervous and shaking that she didn't tie her husband up tight enough. He made her do it again. The assailant threw the victim on the bed on her stomach and began binding her aggressively. The husband asked him not to hurt her. Shut up or I'll kill you. That was his reply. The victim was worried about her dog and warned the intruder about him, to which he responded shut up and ordered her to cross her ankles and then tied her feet. He tied the husband tighter and pressed the barrel of the gun against his neck and demanded to know where the money was. The husband told him the money was on the dresser. The ear walked over to the dresser and began rummaging around. Then, he broke the neck of a bottle off, which contained spare change. The act of breaking the glass caused the dog to begin barking, so he moved the dog to another room and threw him in there and shut the door. The intruder asked if there was any money in the green box on the dresser, and the husband told him no. You better not be lying, or I'll kill you, the intruder said. The husband warned the intruder it was just insurance papers in the box, but the intruder decided to break open the box anyway. The intruder found only insurance papers in the box and threw them on the floor. Then he emptied another glass jar full of Canadian coins in his pocket and told the couple, I have to take a break now, and left the room. The couple heard him leave through the backyard sliding glass door. He then came back and asked the female victim if she had a purse. 
She told him that it was in the family room, so he left the room immediately. He returned to the bedroom, this time with a cup and saucer and placed them on the husband's back. I can't find your purse. If I hear these dishes move, I'll slit her throat, cut her ear off, and bring it to you. He untied the female's feet and told her to walk and not to look at him. Then he warned her, If you don't do what I tell you, I'll kill you both. He pushed a barrel of the gun into her back and forced her to the family room. He ordered her onto her stomach and demanded she cross her legs. He then tied her ankles. He knew where the purse was as he had pulled it from the shelf and began emptying it onto the couch. He took her money and put it in his pocket, then went to the kitchen. The usual ruse of opening and closing the refrigerator ensued. The victim heard him open a can as he walked back into the room. As she lay there on the floor, she began muttering to herself in fear. Please God, don't kill me, please. He heard her and told her, shut up, you better cooperate or I'll kill you. He headed back to the bedroom and checked on the husband. He put his gun to his head and warned him, you move and I'll kill you. Then he took out a knife and put it against his neck. I'm going to rest now and have a beer, he said. Then he left his room. He stopped in the bathroom on his way back to the living room and took a bottle of Vaseline. He stood over the woman on the floor for a moment and then began tearing strips of towel. Then he hung some of the towel over a television and placed a candle holder on top of it to keep it from falling down. Then he turned on the TV and the sound off to give off some low ambient light. He put a cup on a saucer on her back and then warned, if you move, I'll kill you. Then he tied the other part of the towel around her eyes, stood up, and unbuckled his pants. The victim shouted, no, just leave me alone and go. He told her, be quiet or I'll kill you. I'll slit your throat. The intruder began lubricating himself with the Vaseline and knelt over her and placed his penis into her bound hands. He told her to massage it, play with it. Then he rolled her over and untied her feet. He pulled her pants and underwear off and then orally sodomized her. You are beautiful, he whispered to her. I'm going to take you to the van with me. How would you like to be in the river? She began crying, shut up. Don't make a sound or I'll kill you. He stopped and placed a cup and saucer on her back. He put his pants back on. Then he saw her rings. No, please don't take them off, she said to him. He placed a gun to her head and told her, shut up or I'll kill you. Then he pulled the rings from her finger. She heard him pick up a bag and walked out the door. Then she heard him climb the fence. The authorities arrived to the scene at around 6 a.m. to find their usual thing. Shoelaces used as bindings, Vaseline lotion, contents of the home strewn about, the usual. The investigators performed iodine fuming on the victim to see if they could get any fingerprints, but they did not find any on the victim, nor in the home. The homeowners had only lived in the residence for a short period of time, three months. Investigators questioned the previous owner, to which they reported experiencing a strange man who acted like a real estate agent. He was described as about 25 years old, 5 foot 10, dark complexion, and a medium frame. He was well-dressed. They also reported that he asked her, What does your husband do, and why is your daughter not home? She felt very uncomfortable and made sure to watch him leave. His car did not match his well-dressed nature. It was an old brown car. She also had a number of hang-up phone calls. So again in this attack, we have the staging of the uh, witness here with the whole van comments again. You know, talking about taking her to his van and how would she like to be in the in the river? We're back to that again, which I thought was, you know, kind of interesting. He's still using that tactic. And then what I also found interesting was that he took her rings. And I find that interesting because clearly he's interested in keeping mementos from crime scenes. You know, in the one time he takes bindings with him, and this time he takes rings, and who knows what else he's been taking. I mean, we've reported a few things throughout the series, but... You know, it seems like he's always taking a little memento from each and every rape and the ransackings leading up to the the ear series. 
Yeah, and he clearly was stalking this house out a little bit more because he was asking, why isn't your daughter home? Where is she? What does your... Well, he did ask, what does your husband do? So he didn't come across that piece of information if he had rummaged the home prior to the, the break-in and the attack, but... Well, that was for the uh, the previous owner. When the home was for sale, he went to the house and he asked the previous owner those questions <laughs> during the, probably like an open house or whatever, or a, a visit, you know, a showing. Okay. I'm an idiot. Don't listen to me on that part. No, I know what you mean. But yeah, it, but again, though, he was staking out this house. Well, supposedly, you know, we don't know for sure if that was him. You know, that was just some strange man that the previous owner reported prior to the attacks, you know, as she was selling the home. What do you, why don't you think, one thing that stands out to me is almost every one of these attacks, these people are getting hang-up phone calls. Is this not a detail that the authorities are sharing? No, they weren't. Not. I don't know when they started sharing, if they started sharing during that series being active or not. But what I do know is that at least initially, I don't think they were reporting some of this stuff. And so people weren't on the lookout for the hang-up phone calls and all that stuff because they just didn't. I think they didn't want to induce panic, but I don't know if that was all during the media blackout or if it was after the media blackout, if they were able to report those things. I haven't run across any articles that say it or recall seeing any that say it, but I read a lot of stuff about this. So, you know, I could be just not thinking about it clearly, but yeah, that's a good point. I do know though, at some point during the series, they were not reporting on this. And I think my gut's telling me that they didn't talk about this even while it was going on. Uh, for a long and time. That's just crazy to me because if I sat down and read the newspaper in the morning and, and read a detailed attack and time and time again, if I see a kind of like things repeating with these hang up phone calls, if I start getting hang up phone calls at my house or my wife started getting hang up phone calls at the house, I'm going to be like, oh shit, here we go. Right. Yeah. No kidding. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a giant warning sign. I don't know why, you know, why you wouldn't broadcast that particular piece of information it's not something i don't know i mean you know how authorities will keep pieces of information back in order to fully be able to you know pin a suspect down later on because they can use only information that law enforcement knows and this might be one of those things that they were saying like okay so we know this guy likes to call people and do these hang up phone calls prior to this happening you know but we don't want to broadcast that because you know, it's one of those things that's too obvious. So let's not broadcast that and keep that in our back pocket for later. If we capture him, then we'll, you know, use that as partial evidence, you know, or a way of figuring out if we have the right person or not. I don't know. I mean, it still seems silly to me. It seems like when you've got this many attacks going on, you should be telling the the public pretty much anything and everything that would give them a clue that something's going to, to go down. Right. And that's a good point because when we, last week when we talked about the one attack where he called and was taunting the police officers and we know he's reading the paper. He, we know he's following exactly what they're saying. And in the very next attack, there's a, a male victim in the home as well. So if you go broadcasting, Hey, this guy is going to call you, hang up on you, prank call you, you advertise that, then maybe he stops doing that. So maybe that he, he starts trying to throw you off of that trail. I guess is where I'm going. Oh yeah. I wouldn't want to be in the position to make the decision whether or not to broadcast certain details or not, because something like this is a really good detail to broadcast because it helps warn authorities and victims that things are coming, you know, your way. Attack number 21. 
May 17, 1977. Carmichael, Sandbar Circle. The husband awoke and noticed the shadow of a man standing in the doorway of their sliding glass patio door. He pretended to be sleeping. When he heard the man, now in the home, saying, Wake up, wake up, wake up, I have a gun. The husband was aware of the ear and assumed that's what was happening as coverage of the ear had been all over the media. Look at me. Look at me, do you hear me? These were the words that awoke the female victim of this home just three days after the previous attack. According to her, he had spoken in a stutter. There were three others in the home, her grandfather visiting from Italy and two small children sleeping in other rooms. The woman noticed her clock and it read 1.36 a.m. Do you hear me? I have a 45 Magnum. Pull the covers down. The victim shook her husband awake, telling him that there was a man in the room. The ear shined a light in the eyes of the husband as he began to sit up and told him to lie down. On your stomachs. I'm going to tie you up and take all your money and jewels, he said. The female victim was ordered to tie up her husband. The ear kept warning the woman to tie her husband tighter, while also threatening to kill everyone in the house if she didn't do it. Then he told them he wouldn't hurt anyone as long as they were quiet and didn't move. He put the gun to the husband's head and said something to him, but the husband wasn't able to recall what he said. When the husband tried to respond, he was met with the response of, Shut up. If you say one more thing, she's dead. She's dead. Then he proceeded to tie up the victim. He retied the male victim as well, just to make sure that he was tied tightly. The victims reported that the assailant went outside the sliding glass door onto the patio and it sounded like he was digging around in a toolbox. He returned and put what looked like a coin box on her husband's back. Once he was done with that, he rummaged around the room in typical fashion. He told the couple he was going to go get food and everything else he needed, and if he heard anything, he would kill everything in the house and then I'll leave into the night. Next, he told the woman he couldn't find her purse. She told him it was on top of their refrigerator. He then responded, If you're lying, I will kill you. Then he made her get up and escort him to her purse. As they were heading out of the room, he told the husband that he would kill her if he moved. She's dead. The first thing you'll hear is two shots. The victim showed him where the purse was. Then he took her into the living room. She saw that he had draped a blanket over her lamp in the living room, much like the towel over the television in the previous attack. He ordered her onto her stomach and tied her ankles and blindfolded her. Next, he returned to the husband and placed the dishes on his back and gave him the typical warning. He'd kill his wife if he heard them rattle. He went into the kitchen again and grabbed a knife, returning to the wife and putting the blade to her throat. He threatened her again. He went to the kitchen and began eating, which the victim could hear. He came back and put the knife to her throat and asked her where the money is. He knew they had more. She told him there were coins in her husband's den. He threatened to kill her if she was lying. He returned and straddled over her, placing his lubricated penis into her hands. Rub me, he said. He then forced her up and stuck it in her mouth and told her to suck it. He warned her if she didn't do it, he would kill everyone. He also would say things to her and call her by name. He then untied her feet and raped her. She did everything he asked in fear that he would murder her family. He went back to their kitchen and ate more food. Then he came back and tied her feet again, this time even tighter. He told her that he was going to get food and beer and go eat outside in the backyard for an hour. He put dishes on her back like her husband and told her if he heard them rattle, he would kill for the first time. He then growled to her, those fuckers, those fuckers, those pigs. I've never killed before, but I'm going to now. Listen, do you hear me? I want to tell those fuckers, those pigs, I'm going to go home to my apartment. I have bunches of televisions. I'm going to listen to the radio and watch television. If I hear about this, I'm going to go out tomorrow and kill two people. People are going to die. The room fell silent for a while. She thought he was gone, but he was actually with the husband. 
He told the husband, you tell those fucking pigs that I could have killed two people tonight. If I don't see that all over the papers and television, I'll kill two people tomorrow night. Then he said he was going to the kitchen to eat and threatened to kill his wife if he heard anything. The female victim was trying to work her bindings free at this point, but they were very tight. Then she heard breathing and he slowly walked around her not saying a word. He leaned down, his face next to hers. as he whispered, Those fuckers, those fuckers, those pigs, those pigs, those fuckers, I'm going to kill them too. Okay, tell them I'm going to kill those fuckers. The house was silent for a while. Suddenly she heard her husband calling out to his father in Italian. The grandfather awoke and ran into the bedroom and freed his son from his bindings. They checked on their kids and untied the female victim. So the investigators arrive and find the usual items, shoelaces, drawers open, you know, ransacked dishes. The sliding door um, was pried open. That's how he got in. Um, and then they used the bloodhounds like usual. And, you know, they traced him to like two blocks away where he actually had his car parked and took off. And then, you know, they also found the usual reporting, you know, from the neighbors of prowling activity. Um, and the one thing that was kind of interesting here is at this home, their dog didn't bark, and he was an outside dog. And this dog was reportedly uh, a loud dog. It would bark all the time for, like, the littlest things. And so it was strange to them that this dog didn't make a peep uh, that night, coincidentally. So, you know, good for keeping your dog outside, I guess, being useful. <laughs> I would be so pissed. Exactly. <laughs> maybe, he brought, maybe he knew the dog was there and brought him something to eat and chilled him out. You never know if you throw him down something to to chew on or to eat or just to keep him sort of distracted. Yeah, make him happy. So the big piece of this one, and and what's so fascinating about this particular attack is, this was the man who stood up during the town hall meeting on November 2nd and 3rd, 1976, and berated Shelby and Daly at that town hall meeting. So if you recall, and I, I said back then, you know, keep this man in mind. He comes into play later. So the East Area Rapist shows up at his home, and that man, when he got up and started screaming and hollering at that meeting, was telling, you know, the police, I don't see how you guys don't catch this guy and how you let this stuff happen. If this was in Italy, this guy would be caught, basically saying that, you know, the authorities are useless, and then here's the East Area Rapist attacking you and your family, and you can't do anything about it. I mean, obviously, it's a town hall meeting. People aren't standing up and saying, hi, I'm so-and-so from here. But do you think that there's any possibility whatsoever that the ear was at that meeting? 100%. 100%. He was there. Do you think this attack was based on his husband, this husband's outburst during that meeting? I do. 100% I do. I, I There's no doubt in my mind. This guy is a lunatic, and I think that he was looking for every and any reason to attack someone. And I think once he scouted out the home and had an idea of what he could do, he he was bound and determined that he was going to attack this house. That's a great point because that lines up with what he was saying to these victims. He's like, I better read this in the paper tomorrow or I will kill two people. And the stuff that he said, as far as we know, it's the first time he's made this warning or this threat to victims. And with that guy being so outspoken at that town hall meeting towards the police you know, towards law enforcement, it almost sounds like he's setting this guy up to do a little bit of his dirty work. Yeah. I I found it quite fascinating that the <laughs> this guy gets attacked, like his family gets attacked later on. Like it just 
to me, there's no other explanation, you know, other than the East Area Rapist was there. I don't... Every time I say East Area Rapist, Siri goes off on my phone. But if I say Siri, she never goes off. So explain that. I have a demented telephone. (laughs) (laughs) You've been doing too many Google searches for the East Area Rapist and Siri's picking up on it. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) She's out to get me. Yeah, so I I can't wait to see how this unfolds if this guy, if this family takes this message to the law enforcement and what happens next. You know, I've kind of, in an interesting turn, I obviously don't know as much about this case as you do and you've done a lot of homework on it, so... I'm anxiously awaiting to see how this unfolds. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's not much that comes from it, really. I mean, the police take the take the information from the man, and, you know, obviously the papers are still reporting what's going on. But, you know, again, I, the authorities at this point in time, they've always believed that he would escalate to murder, like that he wouldn't hesitate to murder somebody and that it would eventually turn into murder if they didn't stop him, right? So they get these threats, and it's more confirming things in their minds than anything else. It's saying, okay, this guy's he obviously threatens to kill people constantly on every attack. He's constantly telling them how he's going to kill them if they don't shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I'm going to kill you. And then he doesn't do it. But now he's starting to threaten victims and plant that seed and, you know, say, like, you know, hey, you tell those pigs, those fuckers, I'm going to kill them, you know. So I think it's more or less just kind of, Again, another piece of information. I don't know that it gets reported in the media. I I don't know that. But what I do know is that the detectives working the case at the time were very aware that he could potentially escalate to becoming a murderer, and they were very concerned about that. I do know that. And so I think this threat just sort of heightened their sense of awareness to that and put them on edge. So I want to move on to what I call a close encounter. Detective Shelby recalls that one night in May of 1977, he believed his home may have been visited by the ear. This is a passage from his book, Hunting a Psychopath, and it's as follows. But still the ear may have made a visit to our house one night. We have two sons, and each had his own bedroom. The older son slept a normal eight hours, while the younger rarely slept more than four or five hours, a habit which he has to this day. It was the younger one lying there in his bed who saw somebody looking into his bedroom window. As it was told to me later, it sounded like someone on the roof was deliberately making as much noise as possible. Listening to this, our son became very scared. Then, a head covered with some sort of ski mask was suddenly hanging upside down looking through his window. Had it not been for a small cloth ball bobbing around as it hung straight down from the covered head, he might not have seen it. That is, until a flashlight beam passed once around the room. Now the thoroughly frightened, about-to-be five-year-old boy came into our room and climbed into bed with us. He must have caught us in our REM sleep because neither of us became wide awake. We both recall him crawling in between us and telling us he was scared, but either he did not mention any details or we failed to pick up on them. Had I comprehended what, was, what he was telling us, I can absolutely and without any reservation guarantee the entire park and surrounding area would have been crawling with cops and tracking dogs. Either that or I would have had a leaky roof. What do you think about that? I think this guy's Spider-Man. You see the... You see the masked face hanging upside down outside the window. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Jesus, can can you imagine seeing something like that <laughs> and not being haunted the rest of your life? No. And I'll tell you, uh, in typical killer fashion, here's a story time. So when I was a little kid, I was probably, I don't know, eight, nine years old, probably eight. And I had my buddy over and 
my parents had people over and, you know, they were kind of just drinking and hanging out in our backyard. And the backyard of our home, we were lived in a cul-de-sac and we had like a small like fence divider at our property line. But behind that, there was a, right after we moved in, there was a church that was built behind our home. And so we would always go over there and play and they're like, they had this huge, huge lot. I mean, there was a giant parking lot and then there was, you know, the building and then it was on this big hill and this giant field that went down to a shopping plaza. So you could walk to the plaza from my house and be to the plaza in probably two to three minutes. And, um, you know, just walking slowly. And so we would go up there and play all the time on this hill. And what was cool is it had this giant spotlight and it shined up on a cross on the building. And so we would go out and we would play. And so what we were doing at the time is, you know, we were pretending to be Power Rangers. So we we're out there like, you know, pretending to fight each other and stuff. And it was like, I don't know, probably nine or 10 o'clock at night in the summertime. And we were out there playing. And I just remember this strange man parked his car across the street and he was wearing all white. And he was clapping at us and like cheering at us and saying things to us. And my friend and I looked at each other and we're like, what the hell? And then we took off running home and it freaked me out, you know, and I still have like memory of this, like just like it was yesterday. My parents to this day still do not believe that this happened, (laughs) but we went home and told them instantly, like there's a strange guy across the street and they thought we were just, you know, being stupid kids, you know, whatever. But it happened. I promise you it did. You know, I'm not making it up. It happened. And it was just such a strange thing. And it's stuck with me for a long time. Like, you know, I don't know what if that guy was just teasing us because we were being stupid kids and like, you know, play fighting out in front of the spotlight and just being goofy. Or if he was like a child predator. Like, I don't know what I was dealing with. I'm glad that we had the wherewithal to take off. But, you know, it was just one of those things that always stuck with me. And so to have something like that happen to me, and it wasn't even that traumatic, and it's like ingrained in my mind from when I was a child, like I can only imagine what this was like where you're sleeping in your bed and you look out your window and there's a man standing, or not standing, but up, hanging upside down looking at you. <laughs> like, what the heck? Yeah, I can't even imagine. And the and the guy that you saw at the church, you said he was wearing all white? Yes. Jesus Christ. No pun intended there in front of the church, but holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really, really weird. I, I don't know. It was it was creepy. And, um, you know, I, I only say that to kind of, that's one of the only frames of references I have to this. And it was just, you know, it was very strange and creepy. I guess I have a part two story here. Sorry, I just thought of this one. So <laughs> when I was growing up, my dad had kind of gone off the rails for a while after being unemployed and so my mom would sort of you know he had he had a substance abuse problem and so he he would frequently leave for days on end and my mom would get pissed at him and she would kick him out you know quote unquote kick him out whatever she'd lock the doors and stuff so when he'd come back he couldn't get inside one night i'm dead asleep in my room someone's pounding on my window and it was my dad he had climbed up on the roof to get into the window because he was locked out of the house. I was scared shitless. I took off running out of my room so fast you wouldn't even know. Like, I mean, I was just gone. And, like, I remember that happening. And just, like, thinking about that versus, like, these things where this guy's coming in your home. And it's just, like, that same feeling happened to me in that instant. But then I knew who it was right away. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, whatever. I calmed right down. But... Just that panic, that instant panic out of a dead sleep when all of a sudden someone's coming through your window was just like the craziest thing in the world. 
<laughs> I don't recall. I mean, I've had a few panic incidents like that, but nothing to that great of detail. You know, you see weird shadows when you're a kid, you sleep and your imagination runs wild, things like that. Typical things like that, but no weirdly dressed dude or coming through windows or hanging upside down, nothing crazy like that. So, holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it was strange. Um, <laughs> and when my dad came through the window van, I was, <laughs> I about lost it. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely an interesting experience. Let's say that. <laughs> I'm just surprised I didn't shit my pants. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I, I probably would have. <laughs> literally i think i was too scared my sphincter was too tight i was uh, i was out <laughs> peace out see ya <laughs> um. all right let's move on to attack 22 may 28th 1977 sacramento fourth parkway a husband and wife lay in their bed the husband freshly home from work around midnight it was now around 2 a.m as he was preparing to go to sleep the husband and wife began getting intimate with each other for a few moments when they heard a rattling sound at the patio door in their bedroom. The husband flipped over to see what was going on in a, in a man rushing in through the doorway. Lay perfectly still or I will kill all of you. I will kill you. I will kill her. I will kill your little boy. Their son was asleep in his bedroom at the time of the attack. The ear ordered the wife to tie the husband up. Then the ear tied the wife. He told them he was going to go get food and money and then the ransacking began. The husband periodically tried to look up, but the assailant shined his flashlight in his eyes and warned him, I'll kill her and your son if you don't keep your face down. He rummaged through their closet, taking shoelaces from shoes. Then he went back and bound the husband, tying his hands and feet tighter. Then he placed glass bottles on the husband's back. Don't move. If I hear that sound, I'll kill everyone in the house, he said. Then he fixed the victim's bindings and made them tighter. The ear left to go get dishes and came back and placed them on the husband's back. Then he threatened the husband. Don't make a move or I'll kill everyone in the house. As I promised, I'm only going to get food and money, then go to my van and eat it. If I hear that sound, I'll come back and kill everyone in the house. Then he untied the woman's feet and took her out of the bedroom. He came back a few moments later, shining his flashlight around to check on the husband. Then he closed the bedroom door. After he left, the husband could hear the wife moaning. It had been quiet for a while. The husband heard the sliding door open from another room and assumed the ear was gone. He knocked the dishes off his back and nothing happened, so he got up and knocked the receiver off the phone and dialed with his hands behind his back. Prior to this, the ear had raped the husband's wife. All the regular ammo was present. The torn towel strips already laid out, blindfolding her, the lotion, placing his penis in her hands, raping her, sodomizing her, all of his disgusting acts all over again. The thing he did prior to leaving was plant the victim with a message for the cops. I have something for you to tell the fucking pigs. They got it mixed up last time. I said I would kill two people. I'm not going to kill you. This is on TV or in the paper tomorrow. I'll kill. I'll kill two people. Are you listening? Do you hear me? He stuttered purposefully on some of the words. I have TVs in my apartment, and I'll be watching them. If this is on the news, I'll kill two people. Then he sobbed and said, It scares my mommy when it's on the news. It scares my mommy when it's on the news. Then he was gone. So when the investigators asked the victim, you know, what they had, she had been doing prior to the attack, uh, she did recall that she had been doing her laundry earlier that night and it required her to make several trips to the garage where the washing machine was. And on that occasion, she noticed that the side garage door was open and she thought the wind had blown it open. So she locked it and continued about her business. 
this kind of ties back into my very original statement when we first started this case was that this is just like Michael Myers. This That scene where in the original, Annie's out in the laundry room in the detached garage and the, the door comes open and you see Michael Myers standing out there. You just see his mask. And, I mean, there's so many parallels to that movie and this man that just I cannot stop but drawing them. It is the craziest thing to me. But, you know, here you are. And it just it freaks me out in a way. But um, as we talked about, you know, the, the usual things that have been, you know, consistent with the most recent attacks, you know, it was a newly purchased home and there was a bunch of hang up phone calls and prowling in the neighborhood as usual. So, again, another attack fitting the exact MO, you know, and here we are. <laughs> I mean, 22 times. What do you make of him saying there at the end, it scares my mommy what's on the news? Do you think he's trying to play off like he's crazy, or do you think he's having sort of a slight breakdown at that point? I honestly don't know what to make of that. I don't know if he's staging the victim again, or if he's... I don't know what his point is in doing that. Like, that line in itself doesn't do anything for anyone. Like, it doesn't throw investigators in a certain direction, and it doesn't scare the victim really i don't know i mean does it like would that add extra fear to you compared to everything else he's been doing like in my opinion not really maybe but i don't think so what do you think about that no probably not from the victim's standpoint it is it just caught me as weird i guess hearing it him saying that oh it's definitely weird for sure yeah i don't know um I would have to just say i think he might legitimately just be a little bit crazy <laughs> I mean, you've heard, I mean, obviously he is just based on what he's doing, but I just mean like in a, in a sense of having a mental struggle with him, with himself out loud. Like it just seems like some of the attacks they reported, they could hear him talking to himself or it sounded like multiple people in the home, but it was just him. So I don't know if this is just more of that where it's like, he's just a little bit mentally unstable. So, you know, here, he just says these weird things sometimes i don't know i don't honestly I, it baffled me when i read that i don't know what to think of that yeah he he definitely is a little bit nuts and again here like you put in the notes it's a newly bought house somebody had just recently moved in so crazy i <laughs> he's i don't know if he's watching new people move in we've alluded to this before where is he touring these homes to get the layout of the home and then when somebody new moves in he already knows the landscape um is he hiding in the home prior to it being sold, especially if it's empty? I mean, there's several factors there. Yeah. One thing I was um, thinking about, you know, as we were talking about this is he could have been saying this to stage his age, maybe. You know, if you're referring to your mommy, maybe it paints you as younger than you are. That was one theory that I had, I had read about. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he, he could be trying to throw them off that way. You know, I don't know if that's the case or not. Yeah, it was just interesting. I'm not sure. Um, the other thing that happened, it was suspected that the ear had hurt himself. And the the bloodhounds they brought in had lost his scent at, at a cyclone gate. And that indicated the ear had jumped it. And on the other side of the fence, it's pretty hilly terrain. And it's uneven. And they think that he may have fell into the canal and hurt his arm. And a man with a fake ID gave the age of 31 years old, showed up a couple days later at an emergency room at American River Hospital, and he gave May 28th as the date of his injury. And then he 
he took off before the sheriffs could show up at the hospital uh, because the the staff was starting to get a little you know concerned about this guy and then you know it was just it it was one little thing that that you know investigators do look at look into this hospital quite a bit and they're trying to track down this guy and they can't figure out who he was or why he was there but the other interesting piece of the equation is that after this attack the ear goes dormant for a period of time and that's where we'll pick up next week stay safe <laughs>